0: you're listening to on the vine a podcast about ivy league basketball brought to you by ivyhoopsonline.com all right good evening everyone and welcome to another episode of on the vine Brought to you by ivyhoopsonline.com. dot com. I'm your host, Peter Andrews. We have a very special episode uh for you guys this week, so we're gonna get right to it. Uh and what's very special about it is we have a great panel, as always. Uh first, uh the editor in chief of Ivy Hoops Online, Mike Tony. Mike, how's it going?
1: Good. I think in the two and a half years we've done this podcast, this is the first is this the first time we've had someone who can actually dunk? Uh, I've been on before. <laughs>
2: Oh, I forgot about you, Sam. Sorry, I'm sorry, Sam. It's been a
0: little little while. I forgot. We've had some tall guys on the show before, but maybe not as much as our special guest. So that's also chiming in there. That was Sam Tidings, who is a writer for Ivy Hoops Online and also an occasional guest on Basketball Court. And by occasional guest, I mean he's on every episode. Sam, how's it going?
3: I am doing very well.
0: Uh, We're joined, as always, by the Toothless Tiger himself, George Clark. George, how are you?
4: I'm fine. Very happy to be with you all again.
0: And then our very special guest uh, this week. You may know him from dunking on pretty much everyone in his reign of terror throughout the Ivy League over the last couple of years. Uh, Justin Sears led Yale to their first NCAA tournament appearance since the 1960s. Uh, I believe, if my memory serves, two-time Ivy League Player of the Year and currently applying his trade in, I want to say it's Gleason? I'm not sure if the pronunciation is correct, but please welcome... Justin Sears, welcome.
5: Yeah, thanks for having me, guys, and uh, happy to finally make it on the show.
0: <laughs> so let's let's start with uh, let's start with that last mispronunciation on my part. Tell us what you've been up to <laughs> since you left Yale. Where are you playing ball?
5: Yeah, so uh, after the season finished, I signed a contract to play in Germany for uh, the Geisen 46ers. We're about uh, 30 minutes from Frankfurt, and uh, it's been great playing over here so far.
0: What does is, what is 46ers mean? It sounds like a knockoff of uh, the Philly team.
5: That is a good question. Uh, I asked, uh, I, I've asked. i asked a lot of people, and I've gotten a million stories, one of them being that they had a basketball club in 1846, but I don't think the math <laughs> adds up correctly on that thing as that basketball. <laughs> was created a little bit later, but I've heard some crazy stories. That was the craziest one, so.
0: Yeah, I would be surprised if a team in Germany uh, uh beat out jo- uh James Naismith in vending basketball. But, you know, you never know. Um so what's it been like so far? How um, how's the adjusting to a new country been, adjusting to a new style of basketball uh and then after this question the panel can start firing away.
5: Yeah, definitely it's been uh, a crazy change of place uh playing uh, professional basketball now. Uh, the nice thing is uh after I finish practice I don't have to scramble uh, to class or get to the library to do schoolwork. So uh, the extra free time has been great and it's uh, given me an opportunity to go around uh, the city and uh, parts of Germany to experience European culture. But in terms of the basketball, uh, it's great. Uh, Basketball in Europe is a little bit different. It's more uh, cerebral. Uh, It's more scripted. And uh, it's more physical. That's another thing I feel as you get higher up, the game gets more physical. But uh, I'm learning a lot with each day, and uh, my team has been doing great so far. We're uh, playoff eligible. We're above 500 right now.
1: Nice. Nice. Well, I have a question. I have a question direct from uh, uh, our founder, Ivy Hoops Online founder, Ian and wanted to know, uh, Justin, what is your... Favorite Ivy Gym, non-John non, non J. Lee, obviously, uh, at least favorite. I mean, it's interesting uh, that Yale is at Columbia, uh, I guess, tomorrow night, since that was the gym you won an Ivy League championship on.
5: Favorite Ivy Gym. Uh, favorite Ivy Gym, definitely the Palestra, just because you can feel the history in there. I, I love their band the most, not counting the Yale band, so... Definitely the Palestra, but toughest gym to play in the plane was always for some reason Columbia. Just because it was always frat night and uh <laughs> the, your, your fraternities have said some mean things over the years to us, but uh it, it's always the toughest gym. Columbia was always hard to play there.
0: I think the frat night thing was intentional.
5: <laughs> <laughs> no matter what, it always ended up being frat night when we played you guys.
4: Justin, uh, my Bright name night. is George,
2: night every George night. Clark.
4: <laughs> this is George Clark. Uh, I do a lot of the Princeton reporting for Ivy Hoops Online, and I, I just want to make an observation uh, about your career. Uh, first of all, I'm glad it's over. <laughs> as, far, as far as the Ivy League is concerned, uh, you were uh, the enemy for Tiger people for so long. Uh, And you certainly I have to congratulate you on just an exemplary career in the Ivy League. Uh, We're here writing and talking about the Ivy League because, first of all, we we love what the league is and what it stands for. And I can think of few players uh, in the recent past who have uh, better exemplified what the league stands for uh, than you. I was thrilled to be able to finally cheer for you. Uh, last year against Baylor, uh, it, it was it was great to be on Justin Sears' side for once. And boy, you guys certainly didn't didn't disappoint those of us who are Ivy League fans. So thank you for what you did for the league, and certainly for what you did for Yale. And we all wish you the very
5: best as you continue your basketball career in Europe. Definitely, thank thank you for that. That's much appreciated. Uh, I I miss being in a Jadwin gym. Always had a. Always got amped up playing uh, in that gym, just being around all my friends and family. I definitely missed that. That's one of my favorite. I,
4: I know me. you got amped up because I saw you play there several times. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and if we're if we're talking Ivy history, I did want to ask you if we're all going to go through our uh, favorite, uh, barely related Justin Sears moments. One of the interesting—I don't know if it was really a rivalry, but um, there was a lot of debate in the last couple of years about um who should win player of the year between you and um in particular certain people on this podcast very fond of Mauro Lowe, uh the great Columbia <laughs> guard. Uh and he he he, I believe is in Germany right now with Brosa. Um have you guys played against each other? Have you guys connected at all or is it very much a distance between the two of you?
5: Actually um he played another mispronunciation, sorry. It's uh Rose Bamberg. They're uh they're about an hour forty five minutes from us. And uh, unfortunately, uh, when we played them, I actually was out with uh, a hamstring. So I missed them. But I've seen them a few times over here. We've talked a lot about everything, caught up, hung out with them at Portsmouth as well. So uh, it's not much of a rivalry, but mutual respect for uh, each other's games and everything. That's good to hear.
1: Yeah, yeah. One, one thing I wanted to run run by you was... Justin that and not to not to steal Tory and Princess Thunder or anything, but how do you guys amass so many offensive rebounds uh every year I mean you know it's it, it's something that's continued this season uh uh you know uh, after your departure maybe uh, uh not quite as successfully but I mean, what's what's the secret there? How did the bulldogs eat so much glass? I mean, what what, what kind of drills do you, does uh, Coach Jones uh, uh, make you guys do to to just uh, hype you up so much on uh, in that facet of the game?
5: Yeah, it's um, a great question, and I think uh, it's a commitment. to it's a little, it's a lot of things. I think it starts with Coach Jones uh, in his recruiting. He makes sure you pick guys who are who are tough who want to chase the ball, who, who go after it no matter what. And then to follow that, I feel like we did at least two to five rebounding drills every single day. And it, it just becomes ingrained in your mind. And the ball goes up you run towards the glass and you're not going to get it. You're, uh, the person guarding you not going to get the ball. And, uh, once up that, that just became our culture. And no matter what guys are just running at the glass and, uh, I'm gone, Brandon's gone, but, uh, the, the tradition lives on, and uh, that comes back to the coaches, the teammates, keeping everyone accountable to make sure uh, we're chasing glass.
0: So we got a, uh, I got some questions in from from Rob Brown, who uh, is another writer on IHO. This one I want to run past you. Uh, former Yale player uh, Onaj Woodbine has written about the um, sort of the difficulties sometimes that players have of of becoming part of the team, of, of fitting together, especially when there's a lot of uh, cultural, geographic, racial, socioeconomic differences between uh, players. And I think that is a big part of the Ivy League, too. Um, uh, how, in, in your experience playing for Yale, uh, how did your coaches and the upperclassmen and whoever make your team feel... How did you guys become a team? I realize that's sort of a... a a nebulous question to ask, but I'm interested in um, how that comes together.
5: Yeah, that's a, that's another great question. Uh, that's something I like to ask all my teammates now, um, professionally as well as other guys who play other schools. Like, what what makes their team special and what the camaraderie, I guess, is a big thing. And um, I think my favorite thing about playing at Yale was that I will always, as far as I know, would be the favorite team I played with, just because on and off the court. Um, I did everything with those guys. I think they came back to my um, senior captain, my junior Greg Kelly, um, him and Jesse Pritchard. He was the captain the year before. Um, they lived off campus every year, and uh, their big thing was camaraderie. So they always made sure no matter what, we, we had a lot of team events, we had team dinners, and he always made sure that everyone on the team came over. And uh we would rotate DJs at parties. We would do all kinds of crazy things where we, we learned a lot about each other and uh it just helped make sure that everyone was together and we were one team instead of everyone doing their own thing once we weren't off once we were off the court. So I think that's a big thing for us. Uh we, we all understood uh, our differences and we always did a lot of things together as a team. Yeah. Yeah, that's
2: fantastic.
1: What was it like uh uh you know, with this new season starting out, uh, you know, after you graduated, it was kind of surreal for for Ivy observers, I think, to watch uh, yell at Washington to kick off this season without you, without Brandon, uh, you know, without Mackay. That's not a graduation uh, issue there. Uh, and, to, and it was especially surreal to uh, see how they, you know, put up, uh, 98 points, I think, uh, in Seattle. But, but for you, I mean, there's a whole, obviously there's a whole other dimension there. Uh, what was it like, uh, uh, you know, wa- watching, uh, this team, uh, you know, move on without you this season? All that's got to, it'll yeah. be kind of difficult, I'd imagine.
5: Yeah, it's tough. It's tough watching, but, uh, it's fun watching, though. Know, it's it's their turn to uh, carry the torch and uh, show what they can do. And um, to be honest, uh, I I'm, I can speak for myself. I guess I can't speak for the other alumni. Mm-hmm. I didn't think they'd be off to as good a start with Washington to start oh. the year. Um, everyone knew Alex Copeland. He could he could score the ball coming in. He's he gets his fits in practice with the white team. The crazy shots he makes at the foul line. But um. Yeoni and, uh, Jordan Bruner, everyone, they've, uh, they've shown some great flashes out there competing and not being fearless or acting like, uh, rookies out there. So I didn't think they'd be off to such a great start like that. And, uh, that's a testament to the coaches putting them in a position, to, uh, to perform well, giving them confidence, teaching them the right things and let them make the mistakes and grow out there. And I think, uh, their, be- their best, their best years are ahead of them. This isn't going to be the best Yale team, I think. And um, it, it's going to be great to see what they do uh, once the Ivy tournament starts when they when they make it. But uh, this is going to be a really good team. And it's different from last year that they, they build off momentum, fast tempo and everything. So it's more exciting to watch than uh, when I was playing last year when we had those slow, a lot of free throw games that we just grinded out. So it's, it's definitely a different yellow team this year.
0: Let me ask you another question from, from Ian Halpern because I want to go back to the end of last season uh, quickly and get some thoughts on – how that all went down. As you guys made your march to the title, there were also um, some uh, sort of off-the-court uh, situations happening with uh, Jack Montague being uh, expelled from Yale midway through your run. Um, how did you guys, you know, if you, if you don't want to touch on this, that's fine, but how did you guys deal with the, the dual pressures of trying to go out and play basketball every night and also you and your teammates being thrust to the national spotlight um regarding issues of of sexual assault and campus violence
5: yeah definitely um that was was definitely a tough time for us but i think uh at the same time uh i'm trying to think of the best way to word this um it it called a a, a rallying effect or we like circled the wagons where we only could trust each other's and we had to focus on basketball and at that time uh basketball was was sanctuary from us we didn't have to uh worry about the outside drama we didn't have to worry about classes uh basketball was uh where we could be uh where we were released we could do what we we love and uh, going on the court was fun for us we were inspired we were motivated with each game to win and i think at the end of all that i think that that kind of motivated us to uh get to where we were at the end of the year
0: so then you you guys win the ivy league title uh in dramatic fashion at columbia um which is very painful but it's fine. Um, and, uh, so t- talk, talk us through how the next, I think it was two weeks between winning the Ivy league title, uh, the, what was it like the selection show? And then you, you go up to Providence, uh, and the Baylor and Duke games. I have to think those were two of the craziest weeks of your life. Talk a little about, you know, what was that experience like? Cause that's something not a lot of people have ever felt before.
5: Um, it was definitely one of the best two weeks of my life. and went really fast. And, um, I guess for any of the uh, guys in the league who are listening to this, um, work hard because the tournament is like a, it's basketball heaven. It was a lot of fun and I wish I could do it again. But um, it uh, after we won that Columbia game, it was a blur from uh, all the reporters uh, coming up, wanting to do a story, hear everything about you from where you're from all the way to uh, people wanting autographs and just talk to you. And it, it, it's a great experience. And then being able to go to Providence, only being uh two hours away from New Haven, was was just as amazing as well. Just to have everyone come out there, have the home support, and uh, it was just like a home game out there. So uh, it, it it was a great experience. It was something I will remember forever. Um, and I wish I could relive it. And uh, that that final Duke game was tough, but uh, I think my favorite memory from the tournament was um, when we were making that comeback and. I think so, someone got it done. Someone made a big play, and I'm running back on defense. It was cool to just look up at the stands and just hear the crowd like cheering for us and cheering for us. So that that was that was a great experience. It made a, all the long hours in the gym worth it.
1: How often do you think about that March Madness run? And is is that the moment? Is that the moment that that comes up when that flashes in your mind when when you when you do uh, uh, think about it? That that uh, that comeback uh, against Duke.
5: Yeah, I, I probably have to say every day. I think about yeah. it whenever I step up on up
2: on the
0: court. Yeah, it, it, was, it yeah. was a crazy moment.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, makes total sense. I I get it. Yeah, we, I get it. <laughs> we appreciate the
0: honesty. That's for sure. Um, let me. I just have a. I have a couple more questions from Ian, and then I think we we might be ready to talk about what happened this weekend. Um, one question Ian has is: In your career at Yale, you made eleven three pointers including one uh, bank, sh- bank shot in the CIT that Yale fans will remember very well. Did you have the green light to shoot threes your whole career, or was that very much a spur-of-the-moment yeah, I, thing?
5: No, I've always had the green light to shoot threes and everything. Uh, co- all the coaches have encouraged me. I shoot them in practice sometimes. but uh, I was always, I'm a very unselfish guy, and I'm about efficiency, so I know uh, if I'm under the basket, I'll get a rebound. So I'm better off shooting a, a contested layup and chasing the glass and getting that than uh, checking up at three and hoping it goes in. But uh, I, I've been working on it. Hopefully uh, I'll, I'll make some more as my career goes on.
0: What you really mean is you're working on your 19-foot-two your game, right?
5: Oh, uh, yeah, <laughs> that too. Uh, one thing uh, you guys will not like, uh, Mike James, I uh, encourage you to shoot a lot of two-pointers. So, uh uh, especially long too. At that, my coach does. So uh, I guess statistically, uh, you, you will be a fan of some teams in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: so, so you've been playing basketball for what I assume is as long as you can remember. You've made to the to the professional level in Europe, which is something that not a lot of guys can say. Um, getting a little bit philosophical, what is your what's your plan for the future? Are you you know, playing to play as long as you can. Have you given any thought to what you want to do after you're done with basketball?
5: Uh, I think about it every day. Sometimes uh, playing in Europe is tough because you're away from your friends and family. Sometimes I think I could just pack up my stuff, get on a quick plane ride home, and I can get a job. But um, I'm just—I uh, want to travel, see the world, and everything. See, see where it takes me. I've only been playing since uh, eighth grade, so I'm learning a lot about basketball. So I don't know. How much potential I have left in me? How much I'm going to grow as a player? But, uh, definitely play as long as I can, and then hopefully I can come back and uh, tell tell stories about my crazy career over here in Europe and uh, settle down and get a job. But uh, definitely play as long as I can. That's the plan right now.
0: Well, that's that's great to hear. the The, the final question uh, that we'll ask you, um, Rob Brown, wants to know uh, what your favorite New Haven pizza place is.
5: Pizza, please. Uh
0: whew, that's a good question. Uh-huh. Modern I'll come up with a stumper eventually.
5: <laughs> I'm a, I wanna say modern pizza, but I like bar pizza more. I'm I'm not a fan of pepes. My my dad my dad loves it and I cannot eat pepe's pizza, but probably modern or bar pizza. <laughs> Do you miss educated burgers? Oh my god, that, that was devastating. When that that and they replaced it with uh, uh, a salsa fresca and they had terrible burritos. But I miss <laughs> it. Educated
0: there's one thing I briefly lived in Europe, and if there's one thing I know it's that they have no idea how to make a decent pizza except in Italy. So I'm sure I'm sure you missed <laughs> that too to a certain extent. <laughs> um, <laughs> Justin, thanks a lot to, for submitting to our barrage of questions. Uh, we'd love to have you stay on and, uh, and chat about uh, what happened in the league this weekend, if you're, if you're up for it. I know it's very late in Germany. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, let's start, let's start with uh, what I would consider to be the biggest game of the weekend. It was uh, Columbia hosting Harvard. Columbia trying really hard to get this fourth spot in the Ivy League tournament, which is obviously a big <laughs> change over the last couple of years. Um, knocked off Dartmouth pretty comfortably on Friday night, and then a real nail-biter of a game in And Saw the Lions topple uh, the Crimson despite a pretty big second-half run. The Lions sitting in a pretty good position for fourth spot, uh, better than a lot of people expected, coming into the weekend uh, as they're 3-1 and one in the Ivy League. So Sam Tidings was on press row for this one, uh, and he was furiously G-chatting me the entire time because I could <laughs> not f- watch the game. So, Sam, talk a little about... Uh, what you saw from the light blue?
3: Uh, well, it was a game of two halves, as most, most basketball games are. Um, the first half was like nothing I would seen from Columbia all season, uh, especially the first five minutes each side was sort of out of control, sloppy. A lot of turnovers. Chambers had too early. Uh, Mike Smith was having trouble with some entry passes on Columbia's side. And then Columbia closed the half the last 10 minutes on a 27-8 to 8 run and just really was shutting down Harvard's offense. They were grabbing rebounds. They were getting open looks. And they had a wide-open corner three at the end of the half that rimmed out that would have put them up by 18 instead of 15. And I'm um, sitting on press row next to John Templin from nybuckets.com. And he said something to the effect of, oh, looks like Columbia is you know, right back in the – ivy race and i'm like well i've seen lots of columbia basketball before and i think i know how this ends but we'll see and then sure enough when harvard had cut it to one with a minute and a half left he was like well i guess you know columbia better than i do so it was one of those games where like everything went right and then everything went wrong and i was ex- very much expecting columbia to fold down the stretch and give up that lead like i've seen them do so many times before it reminded me a lot of the princeton game last year at levy where Columbia was up big and they were right back in the Ivy race and everyone's happy. And then Princeton comes back down the stretch and they hit some fluky shots and come up with the win and just about ended Columbia's chance of winning the league last year. Um, but for the life of me, I don't know how that chamber shot at the buzzer didn't go down, but it did. And you know, three and one, three and one, three and one, three and zero oh, looks like a pretty solidly rounded out top four in the league right now.
0: Yeah, can you just talk a little bit about that those final uh, 30 seconds or so? Because there was a lot of consternation on Twitter about uh, why Petrosic put up that three, the um, uh, Lions electing not to foul, Siani electing
3: not to call a timeout. What did you see there in the final play? So Columbia gets the ball up by three with, I think, about 40, maybe a little under 40 seconds left in a 30-second shot clock. And Harvard decided to play it out and not foul Columbia, which I thought was surprising because the Lions had shot so poorly from the foul line that after the game, uh, Jim Engels said that if anybody knows a free throw consultant or wants to volunteer as one, he's willing to start paying for it because they've been so bad at the line last weekend. So they decided to play it out. Mike Smith drives to the rim with like seven seconds left on the shot clock and throws up a wild shot that hits the rim. Jeff Kobe gets the rebound, falling out of bounds, saves it to Petrasic from about 35 feet out. So there's nine seconds left, and the shot clock should be off, and Petrasik has the ball, and he shoots it for whatever reason, which we find out later is because the shot clock hadn't reset like it was supposed to. So he looked up at the rim and saw two seconds on the shot clock and had to throw up a shot because he thought that the you know shot clock was running out. So he puts up the shot, and it rims out. And Chambers is running up the court, and I don't think that anyone in Columbia was sort of thinking coherently enough to like grab him and foul him, but he got a pretty decent look up and it hit the back iron and somehow didn't go down.
0: You know what uh what Jim Engels says about threes reminded me of um one time I was covering Columbia Yale and uh which I think Yale sorry, Justin had a pretty bad night at the free throw stripe and James Jones said after the game that uh they would have done better trying to kick the ball in the hoop from the free throw stripe. I don't know if that sounds like something he'd say, but, uh, yeah. Um, a bit of a bizarre weekend for Harvard too, who really struggled Mm -hmm. on consecutive nights to try to get anything going the first half, nearly upset by Cornell, and then actually upset by Columbia. Um, George, Mike, uh, Sam, what do you think is going on with Harvard right now? Well, I, I'll weigh in on that. I w- went up to
4: Cornell on uh, Friday night. Princeton had been off for two weeks, and I wanted to see our next big opponent, Harvard, from Saturday night this week. And I also wanted to check in and see how Brian Earl was doing uh, after having seen his opening game at Binghamton, w- where Cornell l- looked just awful. Uh the first impression I got watching Harvard warm up and all those those talented freshmen who are big, strong, and fast, I, I thought, "Wow, this team is is going to be very, very good." Amazingly, uh, Brian Earl's team had a chance to beat them, just like Saturday night against Columbia. Cornell got off to a a, a big lead, and it, the team had uh, totally revamped its approach after being taught by Brian Earl for a couple of months. They looked very much uh, like some of the good Princeton teams on offense, scored on numerous backdoor plays, and Columbia did the same thing the following night. And it it left me with the impression that the, the Harvard freshmen are tremendous scorers. They're tremendous athletes, but they really don't know how to play really good team defense yet in college. And I think that might be the toughest thing for kids to, to learn how to do, Um, uh, making the transition to a much faster, uh, college game, uh, where you just can't come out and shoot the ball and outscore everybody. You also have to stop them. But I was left with the impression that Cornell is back in, in the race for the fourth spot. Clearly Columbia is in the driver's seat for the fourth spot. Uh, and maybe even the first spot Columbia's uh, if they can continue to play the way, the way they did against Harvard, uh, and Dartmouth this week, uh, they'll be, uh, a force to reckon with going forward. I, I think Dartmouth, Dartmouth's chances are very, very slender now. And, and Penn really must step up this weekend. Uh, if Penn wants to get back into it, but, uh, Harvard has some problems, and I don't know if they're going to iron them out quickly. Over the long haul, that team will be just phenomenal. They've got athletes everywhere. They've got great shooters. They've got great ball handlers. Uh, Aiken is as good as Chambers was as a freshman. Justin Bassey made a huge three in the last minute uh, against Cornell. That really He he just stepped up. He looked a lot like Justin Sears on on that play. Uh, but I, I'm not sure what's going to happen with Harvard. I think somebody else can beat them, and I hope it's Princeton on Saturday night.
1: Yeah, I mean, for, and I'll just tack on to that. The, for the plus side, Corey Johnson is is a lot hotter uh, from beyond the arc uh, and more involved in the offense than it certainly looked like he was going to be uh, in December Uh, around the time of the Houston win and and frankly what it looked like uh, it was going to be coming into the season for him Uh, and so he's a real asset Uh, it's been a consistent uh, string of performances he's put together now I don't think there's really anything necessarily flukish about it Uh, he's somebody that uh, Ivy defenses would be wise to key on going forward but the flip side uh at the other end of the floor is and John Templin at NYC Buckets uh also uh made the made the same observation, uh astutely observed that, you know, Harvard's interior defense uh you know got gouged uh mm-hmm. quite a bit this weekend. Uh you know, you had, you know, Cornell kind of set the blueprint and then Columbia expanded upon it. Uh, you know, getting getting good looks inside, burning a very aggressive uh, crimson defense on the perimeter, and taking advantage of when uh, Zena Dosimon, uh you know, wasn't in the game, which which is more often than last year, certainly. Uh, you know, this is a, a team that uh, you know has a has an excellent defensive pedigree. It has shown. In uh, huge games like uh, again the Houston game uh, and several others uh, non-conference, the, it's got it's got the acumen to shut teams down. But you know, if if it's if the <laughs> if the paint uh, integrity isn't there on the defensive end of the floor, you know you're going to have teams follow this blueprint. You're going to have teams like Princeton that's obviously been their MO for years. Uh it's certainly Penn's MO now under Steve Donahue, uh to, to feed A. J. Broder and and uh try to beat you underneath. Um, you know, you look at Brown, even Brown, uh which is a very shot oriented, fast paced team, certainly with Stephen Spieth uh and uh and the front court can, can gouge you inside as well. So that's something that Harvard's going to have to rectify. If that, if I was to identify one big takeaway, it would be the through line uh, this weekend for Harvard uh, against Cornell and Columbia. You know, getting, uh, you know, getting gouged underneath uh, early and often. Michael, I'm not
4: sure what the stat the statistics reveal on on the Columbia game, but Cornell out-rebounded Harvard on Friday night, uh, and I know Columbia. Held its own uh, in in terms of rebounding, but if you lined the Cornell players up and had the Harvard players stand next to them, you would you would never assume that Cornell was going to out rebound Harvard. Uh, They did, and Columbia did a great job on the glass as well. So there are some issues there that. that uh, are going to be difficult to resolve. Uh, not that they can't be because there's just so much potential. There are so many great players. I never saw a team as deep uh, as the, this Harvard team is with, with talent. Uh, and perhaps uh, it's a coaching issue. I'm not sure, but I'm optimistic that we got a chance uh, against Harvard. Clearly, Yale has a good chance against Harvard, and uh, so does Columbia uh, in Cambridge when they go up there.
1: Yeah, and Jeff Kobe had six offensive rebounds uh, against Harvard, and, and that led to, you know, I, I think it led to six points, which in a three point game is, is pretty big. And I think that, and you do see that often with a pressure defense giving up a lot of offensive rebounds. I mean, you know, you can look no further than Cornell last season. Uh, for a more extreme example of that, so yeah, you're right, George. That's that that has to be considered for crimson uh, onlookers here going forward too.
3: And I think I think for Harvard, part of it is just effort defensively, because in the second half against Columbia, when they were down big and made that comeback, they were pretty much exclusively shooting three pointers. And part of it's just because Columbia plays a zone, and it's hard to necessarily box people out in a zone and you know, three-pointers lead to long rebounds and that sort of thing. But there were some possessions where Harvard got two, three, maybe even four offensive rebounds on one possession just because they were killing Columbia on that end of the glass. And Columbia really didn't punish them in terms of when they got rebounds and Harvard was all near the basket. They couldn't do as much in transition as they wanted to. And Engel said after the game that that sort of played into Harvard's comeback, that Columbia got complacent and it was running his half-court slow-it-down offense that he doesn't like, and he really wanted them to get out and run against um, Harvard in the second half when you'd have three guys or four guys crashing the glass and Columbia was having trouble securing a rebound so they couldn't really get out and run a fast break.
0: So one, one last point on Harvard, and then I want to actually touch on what Columbia did right this weekend really quick. Um, I'll ask um, Justin, uh, one of the things that we talk about sometimes is the effect of travel partners in terms of you know what are the – the really difficult weekends that you have to do, um, and sort of the consensus from outside observers is that that Cornell-Columbia weekend that involves you know a four or five hour drive in one direction right after a game, is sort of the most difficult um, the most difficult travel partner uh, in terms of the effect that it has on your body, and it, it might also explain why uh, Harvard was susceptible to backdoor cuts both on Friday and Saturday because I I sort of understand that there's not a lot of time to plug in new uh, defensive schemes or, or coaching points. Um, what can you tell us about what it's like to try to do that trip?
5: Uh, Cornell, Columbia trip, like you said, the toughest trip. And uh, uh, Columbia and Cornell, especially my junior, they played uh, two different tempos. Cornell very fast, Columbia very slow, in two different schemes. Of course, so uh, I forgot who we played first, but we had, we played Columbia first. So we had the sleeper bus, and that was tough. As well to take the five-hour trip after a long game, and um, it, it, it's just a rough trip because they play two different styles. It's tough on your body with the uh, the time, and uh, that that's why it's uh, it's uh, good for both both of those teams to uh, pick up some sneaky wins on those trips.
0: When you say a sleeper bus, what do you mean by that?
5: Um, so my our junior coach Jones, he got a bus with uh, beds in it, so they're about. I want to say 12 beds in there lined up. And he, wanted, he wanted to make sure guys were getting sleep instead of uh, laying back on the seats and everything. So uh, a lot of us were able to get an uh, extra hour or two of sleep on the bus, fortunately.
0: Seems like a pretty good investment. Um, uh-huh. let's, <laughs> let's, let, let's talk about Columbia a little bit because we've sort of touched on the Harvard issues but Columbia, I think Sam's right, that's a weekend that um, can often break uh, against the Lions. Um, I always think about that 2014 nightmare game against uh, Harvard, <laughs> um, where the referees stole the win from Rosenberg. Um, but last week at last year's game against Princeton, this this stuff seems to happen. Um, Sam, you were there, I believe, only Saturday night. But can you touch on what what did you think the Lions did well that you, they caught you off guard?
3: Uh, sort of just going back to the general discussion about harvard getting back door all the time um the players said after the game that that was something that angles had had them running since sunday in practice the week before so they had very specific plans of attack against dartmouth and against harvard and i think it sort of speaks to his ability to game plan angles uh, that is because he's working with guys who he didn't recruit and he's working with guys who are used to a tempo that is much, much slower than he wants to play. So he's sort of been teaching them all year how to maximize things towards his game plan. And we're sort of sort of seeing the fruits of that. I mean, obviously the Cornell loss at home was a big no-no. And a game that they lost also because of free throw shooting and bad three-point defense, things that almost cost them the game last Saturday night. But to me, what Columbia is really making strides is that their defense, even though it's a 2-3 zone, so you're giving up a bunch of threes, and you're susceptible on rebounds, forcing a ton of turnovers every game. And maybe that's because people don't expect Columbia to play zone since they played almost exclusively man under Smith all those years. But they were having trouble. I mean, Harvard was getting entry passes. They were having trouble making the extra swing pass, and Columbia was doing a great job, especially closing out on the corners on three-point attempts. And, you know, obviously, Harvard made a bunch. Corey Johnson, I think, was 7 for 13 in the game or something like that. But they took Chambers so completely out of the game that Harvard had to completely change their game plan at halftime. And, you know, it was to their benefit. They almost came back and won the game. But it was just impressive seeing Columbia's defense swarm like that and move so much in a 2 3 zone, a defense that I, you know, pretty much hate whenever any team plays it because you're so vulnerable on three pointers and on offensive rebounds, but they found a way to make it work so far.
0: Yeah, I have to say, if you had told me at the start of the year that Columbia would be defensively competent, I would be surprised because they really struggled in on-conference play To as they were kind of switching away from... I think, I think um, Engels realized early on that the man-to-man wasn't working, tried to incorporate this zone... Um, when I talked to Engels in December, he kind of said, you know, we're starting to feel like the zone is what really fits our personnel. Um, and defenses take a long time to click. So it's a good sign for the lions. Um, they have one of these unbalanced Ivy schedules this year where they have two more home games and mm-hmm. then are going on the road for, um, six out of the last eight, uh, which is obviously pretty difficult. Those two games will be against Yale and Brown, Yale and Brown matched up against each other on the weekend. Uh, the Eli's pulled out the win, uh, Justin, I don't know if you've watched any of the Yale Ivy League games so far. They're they're at three and one. How, what what do you how would it, if you have seen it? What have you seen from them that that looks good or looks like could do some work?
5: Fortunately, I missed both games since uh, we were traveling, but uh, I was able to catch up uh, and uh, I guess uh, in the Penn game as well. And uh, I guess the thing that's been working for them and their balance that, that's been great for them lately. And uh, I think there's going to be some growing pains as you, with the Prince again down the stretch. Uh, there are some key turnovers, some uh, missed assignments, you know, some missed shots. But uh, they're, they're going to get better as uh, the season goes on, and they're going to learn. And uh, I think uh, the balance and uh, Anthony and Sam will help lead them uh, to some big wins uh, down the stretch.
0: Anyone else on the panel have thoughts about uh, about Yale Brown?
2: I think it's it was certainly interesting to see how the offense uh but uh you can put up points early on yellow any time 40 points on the first half uh in scale on the back weeks that itself is an accomplishment. but I think the street I want to
0: apologize for whatever the hell is happening right now. Uh, I don't know why we can't get through an entire podcast without some sort of weird sound thing happening. Um, let me suggest that everyone who's not me plug in your unplug and then replug in your headphones um and see if that that helps the sound quality at all um i'm it one seems of the difficult to have cleared things, up, Peter. has it cleared up i still hear a Our little bit has. It. okay well that's progress mike you you there I am. I don't think. No, Mike's the the problem. Mike's the problem. (laughs) (laughs) Mike is always. Mike is always the problem. I don't know if uh, if this has become obvious to anyone yet, but it's it's always Mike. Um. This is a great podcast. This is just like such a good podcast. Uh, In fact, I'm. I'm pretty sure there has never been a podcast quite as good as this. Period. In the history of the world. So, I'd like to thank all of our listeners who've stuck with us uh <laughs> through this. Mike are you are you there? Uh oh, Mike's gone. Okay. Well, uh let's let's start wrapping up because we were kind of getting toward the wrap up portion anyway uh, as Mike disappears. Um this weekend, we have the first big weekend. Uh, every team is playing back-to-back. The action's really, really flowing. Um, Yale and Brown will be at Cornell Columbia, and then Harvard and Dartmouth, Penn and Princeton will be playing each other. Uh, let's go around the panel and say, uh, if I could get everyone to say sort of one thing that they are interested in or, or looking forward to this weekend, um, or even just sort of a general observation about where the league stands right now. Uh, so let's start with with George.
4: I'm hoping that Princeton can continue its great defensive play. Uh, we've had a six-game winning streak going back into uh, to prior to Christmas, and we're three and zero in the league and haven't given up. We're averaging about 57 points yielded in the three Ivy League games. Uh, that's very, very important. Of course, Princeton has been off for three weeks. We have no tune-up game uh, before getting back into the league schedule and we're making a long trip to Dartmouth, I'm happy I'll be up here tomorrow uh, to, to and in Cambridge for the weekend so I just hope that we can survive three weeks uh, without playing and get back into form as we had demonstrated at uh, at the time of our hiatus so looking forward to a big weekend and hope they can play well
3: Yeah, I mean, if Princeton-Harvard's the game of the weekend, then I guess Columbia-Yale tomorrow night is like 1A or the other game, whatever you want to call it. Uh, one thing I especially want to look at is after how much Columbia struggled in the second half, uh, Yale has two guys in uh, Bruner and Downey who are great at crashing the offensive boards, and they have four guys who shoot over 37% from deep. So I want to see how Columbia's going to try to contain them, by running them off the perimeter and how they're going to find a way to keep them off the boards. So otherwise, Yale could win by 15 points easily.
0: I think we've got Mike Tony back, so I'll ask Mike the question. Uh, we're we're on to the sort of concluding part. What are you looking for as your sort of one or two things to watch in the league this weekend?
1: Uh, I was I was saying that Yale had flushed Brown down, and I got.
2: <laughs> <laughs> are you I weren't going to do that, guess, that anymore? yeah
1: i I guess i guess skype didn't want to hear that anyway uh, i mean i don't know i think obviously and i i missed what sam said so i hope i'm not repeating anything but princeton uh at at harvard strikes me as um it's a it's a revenge factor for the tigers since they last uh, they lost their last year and uh you know, in the, in the, will forever be known as the Patrick Steves game. Um, you know, I, I look at it as. I, I don't think Princeton should, should, uh, come into the matchup, uh, you know, looking to throw anybody for a loop. I think they should try to, to press what se- would seem to be an advantage on the inside. Uh, you know, uh, I would expect that, uh, Tommy Amaker would, uh, <laughs> You know, be drilling it into his team all week uh, that that is what is going to happen. But I think the onus is on the Crimson to prove uh, that that they can stop it. Um, You know, Princeton has shown that they don't need the three-point line uh, to be successful. Uh, You know, they've got players who can make things happen on the on a drive. They they have. uh, uh, You know, they've had. pretty solid uh, wing production inside the three point line this year uh, I, I expect that to be you know all the all the mathematical models uh, the Yale Sports Group uh, Ivy uh, B-Ball, better knows Mike James I think are are, are saying that it's a toss up um, and if, if uh, either way it goes it's going to be uh, only a couple of points and I can't disagree with that but uh, I think how Harvard starts the game is going to be interesting because, you know, they've, they've had some slow starts lately, and they're not going to get away with it uh, against the Tigers.
0: Justin, I know you're, you might not have a chance to follow things as closely, or, and you've probably got some basketball to play yourself this weekend, but any thoughts on the, the weekend ahead?
5: Uh, yeah, just uh, like you guys said before, the Yale-Columbia game's be uh one A one B for a game to watch, and uh, I think, like I said, it's always a tough environment in Columbia. I mean, it's always going to be a good game when you're in that gym. So hopefully, uh, the guys can get up for that game as well as the Cornell game this weekend. So that's all I'm
0: looking for. Yeah, the the Yale Columbia game, as I've as I've said on this uh, on this program before, the games in Levy and have had some some real classics. I think actually it was before, possibly before Justin Sears was at, at Yale that. There was a uh, like a twenty-one point comeback by Yale what? with about seven minutes left. Were you there for that? Oh, God, well, that was yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that was pretty unpleasant for those of us in the stands. Um, there was yeah, real the double, overtime
3: barbers, too, which, uh, the double overtime
0: game too, which double overtime game against Nerua Ago. My,
3: yeah, I don't know if that was my freshman or my sophomore year. but Ago kept I was there. So it was your theaters, sophomore then, year. So then Yale ended up winning anyway, of course, but uh-huh. just another one of those classics.
0: And then uh, I personally have a really strong memory of the the CIT quarterfinal game in March. Uh, my memory of it, though, is that um, I uh, was uh, recruited to be Rory the Lion for that game, and so I spent the entire game watching through a, a cone in the mascot's head while people patted me on the head, and, and I half-heartedly <laughs> pretended to dance. Um, I recommend to everyone that they try being a mascot once and then pretty firmly never try it again. So... Uh, I mean, that should be a great game. I actually think, for the consequences of the tournament, the bigger game is Brown-Columbia, because Brown has been surprisingly frisky this year, um, and Columbia has had some issues with Brown over the last few years. Um, Last year, not so much, but there was a a, a dagger buzzer beater one of those years. Um, And... uh, definitely, I think if Columbia wins that game and loses to Yale, they're still very much on track um, and they can get some help from Penn if Penn keeps losing um, should be a very consequential weekend, we've got a lot of games to watch, uh, and uh, you know, it's fun, once we get to this part of the season, it's all fun so, I think that'll do it for this episode of On the Vine uh, I'd like to start by thanking our special guest, Justin Sears who joins us from Germany uh, Justin, how can people uh, here in the States uh, keep in touch with you?
5: Uh, mostly just Twitter right now, just your spot, so, uh, give me a follow, and, uh, hopefully I can entertain you guys, but so, thanks for having me, and, uh, go Yale.
0: Well, we're so glad that you were able to come on the show. Uh, special thanks to our panel, Sam Tidings, you can find, uh, on Twitter, and you can find him on Basketball Court Podcast. Sam, can you tell the people what the Basketball Court Podcast is?
3: No, because it's bizarre, but it's <laughs> a, uh it's our alternative history NBA podcast with myself and Peter Andrews and friend of Ivy Hoops Online, Miles Johnson and hopefully we can have a new episode in the next couple weeks
0: it's pretty stupid I hope everyone listens <laughs> uh, we're, <laughs> we're joined by, uh, <laughs> thanks as always to George Clark uh, for his sterling coverage of the league and uh, I guess I won't say good luck but have fun watching your Prince and Tigers this weekend Peter, thank you very much, and Justin,
4: thank you very much. It was a real pleasure to connect with you uh, online in this way. We hope to hear from you again. I want to say one thing. We won't be together on this uh, podcast until after Penn has entertained the Tigers Tuesday night in the Palestrum, which uh, we don't obviously can't talk about that game now, but it's going to be a, a great one. Uh, and it's a big game for Penn, and that's uh, that's for sure. And Michael, I uh, hope hey, you have arranged for my press pass for two
1: minutes. <laughs> I have, George. You you should be taken care of. Thank you, sir.
0: And of course, the Duke himself, the leader of Ivy Hoops Online, Mike Tony, who once again ruined the podcast with his terrible computer, uh, but. At least he's wearing a neutral sweater this week, I guess. So that's something.
1: Yeah, this one's actually gray, Peter. This is what oh. this is what gray looks like. But no, thank you, thank you, Justin, uh, for coming on. Uh, uh, wonderful to have you. Uh, it's good to know that the only thing that can wreck on the vine is uh, not a ton of time zones layered on top of each other, but only my own computer. So uh, thank you for proving that, and thanks so much for coming
5: on the show. Sure.
0: Thanks, guys. Yeah, we've gone across nine times, or uh, we've gone across, I think, nine time zones to get here because I'm in California. Um, but that's been on the vine. It's been super fun. Uh, make sure you get all the great game content on uh, iHoopsOnline.com, and we will be back at you same time next week. I've been Peter Andrews saying so long. Enjoy the basketball.